Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will. Welcome, everybody, to the post-Indian Wells, post-Arizona Tennis Classic edition of KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. As you know, we feature the great Mats Vlander, seven no-make-it, eight Grand Slams, seven singles, one doubles. He is a Hall of Famer. A Texas Longhorn Hall of Famer is Johnny Levine. And Johnny, it starts with you. The Arizona Tennis Classic came off. The third edition was the best. It keeps getting better. The final featured a couple of young up-and-comers. You had some big names in the draw. Bottom line is it still maintains that that blend of older veterans, Richard Gasquet. I guess you can consider Berrettini along with them and Monfils as well with a lot of young guys that are up-and-coming. But overall, great week of tennis at the Phoenix Country Club. You must be very pleased with the outcome. Here's Johnny. Yeah, it was a great week, Andy. Um, sorry you couldn't make it out there, Matt. I hope you're feeling better. But, um, yeah, I mean, we couldn't have been happier. We had only one day of some intermittent rain that, that delayed us a little bit. But other than that, the weather was fantastic. The club was, was awesome. And we had some great players, great guys. I think they enjoyed the whole package, the atmosphere, and certainly, um, you know, they had a lot of space to to spread out. They had a great gym. They had good locker facilities, practice courts. Everyone seemed pretty pleased, and we were super stoked about the level of play for sure. So you had people come out this time that hadn't been out there. David Eggdis from Tennis Channel, Nicholas Pereira came out, Eric Carita, Tom Fontana, and Doug Snyder, teammates of ours from the University of Texas, Again, so really, it was great to see so many people come out. Of course, as you mentioned, Matt wasn't able to make it. But Matt, when you see a final like Nuno Borges versus Sasha Shevchenko, are you surprised when you see names like Berrettini in the draw, like Ielmo Fis in the draw, Diego Schwartzman? Does it surprise you in a challenger to see the young guys, uh, the cream rise to the top uh, with with the younger players? No, not at all. And yeah, I'm really sorry that uh, I've been suffering from a, a really bad lower back for a couple of weeks. I'm actually uh, allowed to go out and hit some tennis balls in a couple in the next few days. So I was going to ask you a question about the older guys, Johnny. But first of all, the young guys playing a challenger. I mean, this is the biggest thing that they have sort of been part of because they can win and it's their world whether it's Indian Wells in Miami or the French Open or the Arizona Tennis Classic doesn't matter you're there to win and I think the difference between the young guys and it's the same when you look at the the uh, Corn Ferry Tour on on the uh, PGA Tour it's the same these guys are so good on any given day they are as good as pretty much anyone in the world maybe except Carlos Alcaraz, but um, they're fresh and it means so much to them. And if you compare that to a Matteo Berrettini, that is, yes, he needed a few matches. So is it a good tournament for him? Great. I believe he got three matches. That's exactly what you want if you're Matteo Berrettini. Of course, winning it would be wonderful. But if you win it, suddenly you might be a little bit tired going into the Miami Open. So for the young guys, brilliant. 
Not surprised at all. Uh, love the new faces. And just because you're saying young, I really believe that Carlos Alcaraz has has done something to uh, the younger guys, the 19, 20-year-olds, mind thinking, you know what? We are as good as these guys. He's doing it. Why can't we do it at our level? So it's great to see these new faces. Well, and Shevchenko, it may be a little younger. Borges, I think, has been out there a while. Johnny, he's 26, 27 years old. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Johnny, was the addition of the guys that are also a part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network that you so graciously invited out, which were the boys from Cracked Rackets, Alex Gruston, Dalton Thieneman, uh, Joe Pucciarelli, and they really added a lot of atmosphere to the atmosphere. They were really cool to have around. They were, and they, they know some of the younger guys. There weren't a lot of the Americans, but uh, definitely they had a relationship with, uh, you know, Alex Kovacevic, Kova, they call him, because, uh, you know, they, they hosted the Cleveland Challenger, so they got close with him there. He's an American kid. And he's an American kid, and they knew uh, Nuno Borges well. And they just have a, a good feel for the youth, and they – they add a lot, a, a nice element. They interviewed a lot of the guys, and and I think you you obviously did some some work with them, some podcasts, and it was right. a lot of fun having them around. And I think they they certainly enjoyed uh, being out in Phoenix, coming from uh, the Midwest for sure. When you look at that doubles draw, Matts, and you see Ram and Salisbury, you don't have to go too much further than that to think to yourself, well. You know, maybe the singles draw doesn't hold up man for man against the draw at Indian Wells. You mentioned Alcaraz and Sinner and Medvedev, and you can go on and on. I mean, these guys are great. But when you look at that doubles draw, you can hold that doubles draw up against the Indian Wells draw and 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 team for team. I'm not sure I could say one one tournament, one event was substantially stronger than the other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that the big, big, big difference between doubles and singles, of course, is the matches are shorter and they want matches. Of course, it's someone like Matteo Berrettini wants to play a couple of singles matches because he only got, uh, got, didn't get nothing in your wealth. But for the doubles guys, uh, I think they want matches because again, the ranking points, it's going to make a bit of a difference. The money, a bit of a difference, but I think they just want matches. And when they lose early in a big tournament, they, they, lose early because they don't win the big points. There's so many important points in doubles compared to singles because of the no-ad scoring, because of the 10-point tiebreaker at once at all. So I think they just want to build up repetitions in a pressurized situation. So uh, when you see these guys out there, Rajiv Ram, you really have to respect the passion and um, the seriousness of which they take doubles. Compare that to when I was playing doubles. I know you brought up the the Wimbledon uh, title that I have with Joachim Newstrom. You know, I lost early in singles that year, and I went back to Sweden for three or four days, and then I came back to London because the weather was so bad. And we're like, okay, you know what? We're in the drawing double. So we didn't take it as serious. Well, of course, when you're on the court, you're serious. But these guys, it's day in and day out. But so, yeah, unbelievable draw. Johnny, I want to ask you a question about Matteo Berrettini or someone like him. Because obviously, he was at your tournament a few years back. He's a different player and a person now. Made the Wimbledon final a couple of years ago. But when he shows up now, obviously, his team is bigger, I'm guessing. Um, is he, does he seem like he's more protected? Is he harder to get to? Is he sort of not jaded in a negative way, but 
okay, I've learned how to how to live in in this skin, which is one of the best looking guys on tour and one of the most <laughs> explosive games. How how do you think he someone like him has changed over the years? I think he is a little more protected, Mats. I mean, when when we saw him a few years ago, he had his coach. Um, I don't know that he had anyone additional at that time, and he seemed a little more open, not as reserved. Definitely still friendly and nice when you are able to get in front of him, but I don't think the opportunities to get in front of him are as are as many. I know there were many requests for media, and I, uh, you know, what I had heard was that he pretty much wasn't doing media during the week. So definitely more reserved, uh, more to himself. He had a team of about, including himself, uh, five. So, I mean, that's a lot. And he might have even had a social media guy. I'm not sure. At least Monfils did. But he he's still a very respectful person. I'm told he's dating one of the most famous models in Italy. And so he's uh, getting a lot of flack for... Uh, from what I'm told, for being distracted, <laughs> being distracted, yeah. being more into, you know, being a model and boss and all the other stuff. But oh uh, well, we all know all about that. I did the same thing. How about Gael Monfils? I mean, he's more one of the most exciting comebacks in tennis. Of course, married to Elena Svitolina, being from Ukraine, that's been a tough situation. They just had their first kid. How does how did he come across? Because he's talking about. Another push, a couple of more years. And, and I mean, with the talent that he has, he, he should be able to get to another quarter semis of a slam, I would think. You would think so. I think his, his play, I, I don't think he obviously has the confidence. Guys are just so tough. He's been out for six months trying to come back, trying to use his athleticism. But what we see on tour now, and I know you're seeing it every week, is guys are just, the movement is just incredible. I mean, it used to be where... Monfils stood alone as far as being one of the best movers, but so many of them move well now. Um, Monfils just struggled, and and I just don't think he could really get through, um, you know, because he lacked the confidence. But I will tell you this, super, super nice guy, was very respectful to everyone, and uh, we couldn't have been happier with him as a person, which means a lot. By the way, Matt, I will say that when he was on the court with – Sasha Shevchenko, I'm thinking to myself, Johnny, I don't know if you agree, but I'm thinking to myself, it's pretty rare that I'm looking out in a tennis court that Monfils is playing a singles match and he's the second fastest guy on the court. I mean, that's how well, that's how well Shevchenko was moving. And I think he's just got an engine that runs hot. And I think like to what you were just saying, these young guys come in revved and ready. And the older guys are a little bit more like ready to ease into it. And two out of three sets goes pretty quick. And Shevchenko came out like a house on fire. And uh, actually they got rain I think it was, in fact, Johnny, it was it was a set and four love to Shevchenko. Monfils comes all the way back, wins the second set in a tiebreaker. Shevchenko goes up two love in the third, and the sky is absolutely opened up. So rain delay, they come back the next day and finish the match, and Shev- Shevchenko got him in three. But boy, I'll tell you, to Johnny's point, Matt's, these guys all move so well. It's like I thought Alex Dimonar sort of stood above the rest of the tour with a few other guys, but now I'm seeing that this is, this is kind of what's out there now. Yeah. And, and I, I got Matt's, let me just, just jump in real quick and tell you that what I was most impressed with, with Berrettini Schwartzman and Monfils 
all of them losing in the first round, right? Just such gracious losers. Berrettini didn't lose first round. Ber- Berrettini did not. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah. He won a couple rounds, but but in 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 defeat uh, against guys that were much lower ranked, they had great sportsmanship and they were very gracious and very very um, you know acknowledging how well their opponents played. I I, th- I thought that showed a lot of character on all three of those guys' part. That's sort of part of. Uh, par for the course these days that in the, in the past when Gael Monfils, everybody always said, oh, who's the greatest athlete out there? Well, Gael Monfils was the greatest athlete. Today, people become great athletes. Of course, then you have the guys that are incredible athletes and they wouldn't have to train at all. But everybody trains so specifically from an early age, tennis specific uh, exercises. And I think they become great athletes because in our day, oh, he's got great hands. Well, you couldn't really train great hands. And we thought, well, you can't really train an athlete either. Either you're fast or you're not. That's not the thing anymore. And I think the behavior and the sportsmanship, again, I think it reflects what Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer, and, and of course, Novak Djokovic and Andy, it reflects kind of what they've been doing for the last 15 years. And the guys realize, oh, that's how you are supposed to behave. That's how you're supposed to train. And I think we're seeing um, – uh, the fruit of the labor right now that these guys are so strong, so fit, so professional in every situation. And with that, unfortunately, maybe comes a player that's slightly more reserved uh, in interviews and when he's, when he's not on the court, sort of like the PGA golfers where it's hard to get them to say anything different than, well, I'm going to hit fairways and greens and hope to make a few putts. And tennis players, I love it overall, but once in a while, it'd be nice to have someone that sticks out a little bit. Well, and you guys know me. I definitely try to go there with those guys. One thing I will say about the Phoenix Country Club, Johnny, is that that gym of theirs, that fitness area, is high tech. And you see these guys in there, and you see them putting in the work, whether it's on those machines or with those medicine balls, doing the ball slams and doing the ball tosses and doing the footwork and getting on those ellipticals. And I mean, everybody is going hard between matches, getting ready for matches. And so to your point, Matt's athleticism is, is a part of the plan. I mean, Johnny, you and I used to be in the gym by ourselves in the eighties, basically, right? Totally. (laughs) It's, it's unreal. These guys are, are gym rats and, Everything is about fitness, and yeah. the athleticism is is really off the charts. Johnny, before we let you go, there was one guy that I spoke to, and you talk about how nice these guys are, and they absolutely are. Rajiv Ram is one of the most sophisticated and, and gentlemanly guys that I have spoken with. He was so gracious and, and so nice and so ready to come on the show with us, by the way, because don't think I didn't go there. And one thing that I said to him, I said, you know, Rajiv, at the end of the year, we definitely had a few things to say about the Davis Cup and the decisions that were made then and the decisions that are being made now. And he interrupted me and said, I'd be glad to talk about that. Ah. Don't you worry. So I thought, okay, we got a live one here. So anyway, Rajiv, they didn't make it to the final, but man, having him in the tournament definitely classed up not just the doubles draw, but the whole proceedings. I am so impressed with that guy. You know, when I first met him at the tournament, um, you know, there were a lot of people that we knew in common, but 
I had probably talked to him 10, 15 minutes and I could tell what a gentleman he, he is. And I'd heard him before, but later on that evening that, that I had met him, he pulled me aside and he said, Johnny, I just, you know, want you to know, I, I realize there's not a lot of Americans in your draw. If there's anything I can do to help you with sponsors, wow. anything you need me to do with, with anyone at the event, I'm available. I'm here. I just want to help. And I just was blown away. I mean, that was really, it just says so much about him. We definitely got to get him on the show. For sure. Now, Johnny, I know you have to run. So congratulations. Job well done. When we, when you've got more time, we will definitely talk a little bit more about this because there are other storylines, but I think we hit the high points. Congratulations. So far, the third uh, iteration of the Arizona Tennis Classic was the best. Uh, obviously not having Matt's there you know, kind of hurt us a little bit because we would love to have him there just to have him there. But the tournament itself was phenomenal. And uh, the the job that you do is not unrecognized throughout all of American tennis. And to match the point that you have made, what's going to make American tennis better are more tournaments along the lines of this Arizona Tennis Classic. So congrats, Johnny. We're proud of you. Well, Andy, I appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming out and, and working as our MC and host. And you did a great job Thank as you. always. And you're like a staple at the event. So we got, we can't we're get rid of him now. No. We can't get rid of Be you. Careful. We can't, we, no. we can't <laughs> on you. So thank you, Andy. All right. Yeah, yeah. Well done, Johnny. All right. We'll see you fellas. Johnny, catch up with you. Have a good night. All right. So stay tuned. More of Matt's and Andy on kickserveradio.com part of the tennis channel podcast network a lot happened at indian wells crazy stuff we'll be talking about that when we come back so don't go away andy zoden here and i am joined by ryan burberry and jessica Auerkirk. ryan is the owner and jessica is the marketing director for velocity tennis thank you guys so much for joining us to talk about velocity catalyst the first biodegradable tennis string on the market. Talk a little bit about the brand history, because even though this is the first biodegradable string, it's important that people understand that Velocity has been around a while, a lot of experience there. Velocity has indeed been around as a company for over 30 years. It was um, born in Boulder, Colorado. Something you might not know about Velocity is that our company was actually the original creator of rainbow strings. So that's a, a fun fact. And that product continues to be kind of one of our flagship products to this day. Ryan, when we were talking earlier, you talked about the fact that you really wanted to focus on biodegradable strings, plural. Now, right now, the Catalyst I believe is the only one, but it sounds like there's going to be a line of biodegradable strings that could follow in the near future. Exactly. Yeah. So um, there's kind of four major types of strings. So there's polyester, which is what Catalyst is. So we kind of started with that. And then you get into like the synthetic guts and multifilaments. um, And those are a little bit softer, a little bit uh, easier on the arm, better for rec players, stuff like that. But those are kind of going to be the next ones that we're going to implement this technology in. And we're doing uh, buy one, get two free sets at the original retail price, just as an introductory offer. So if you try it out, you buy one set and you get two extra ones for either you or your friends. Get three for the price of one. You can't beat that. The website is VelocityTennis.com. This is Velocity, V-E-L-O-C-I-T-I. Thanks for being on with us, you guys. Good luck with everything. AZ here joined by SZ and Sarah, you are a huge pro tennis fan. 
a huge Indian Wells fan. And of course, you spent several days there. Novak Djokovic was not able to be there. Of course, Roger Federer now retired. Rafael Nadal injured. Did you sense much of a difference in the atmosphere of the tournament with those three and Serena Williams, for that matter, not there? Without Djokovic, without Nadal, without Federer, they were missed. But there were so many young up-and-coming players that were so fun to watch. I caught a match of Sinners. I saw Holger Rune play. I saw Fritz play. Boy, they hit the ball so nicely. It was just amazing. So, yes, while they were missed, it was still electric. And certainly, Carlos Alcaraz certainly helps fill that void. Okay, on the women's side, it seemed like last year, Iga Svantec had the women's tour, you know, in the palm of her hands. Not so much at this point, wouldn't you say? You know, I think that the women's tour is, it's a little more dynamic, I think. And yeah, Iga Swantek really had it in the palm of her hands, as you said. And boy, the tennis I saw her play in the first few matches, I didn't think she there was any way she was going to lose until she did. And to see Rabakina play and just, she is a slugger. So to watch her and Sabalenka play and slug the ball back and forth, I mean, there's clearly a top three. Really looking forward to see what Pagula and Goff will do, you know, throughout the rest of this season and see where they're going to fit into the overall rankings by the end of it. No Federer, no Nadal, no Djokovic, no Serena Williams, but still a destination bucket list tournament as far as you're concerned. Oh, without a doubt. It's the BNP Paribas Open. You might want to start planning your trip next year. Go to BNPParibasOpen.com for tickets. You can't get them early enough. AZ and Essie, Sarah, thanks so much. And we will look forward to the BMP Paribas Open again in 2024. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Still buzzing from the weekend's events at Indian Wells in Phoenix, Arizona. And we talked about the Arizona Tennis Classic with Nuno Borges, uh, a three-set victor over Sasha Shevchenko in a great final. But, but Matt, what happened at Indian Wells, <sighs> Carlos Alcaraz, man. I mean, Djokovic or not, Nadal or not. I mean, this guy I equate to the Patrick Mahomes of tennis at this particular time. Is he the greatest of all time? Absolutely not yet. Is he the greatest right now? Kind of hard to argue that point. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of talk before the tournament that Novak Djokovic should have been allowed to come. And, right. and I know there were a lot of people trying to pull pull strings and, and get him to get the U.S. government, basically, the White House, to do something about it. But that didn't happen. So that hurt the tournament. Rafa Nadal, that always hurts the tournament. But we're kind of used to... Uh, we've gotten used to... We have figured out how to not miss him too much when he's injured. And now when you see Carlos Alcaraz play, none of it matters. Right. Because once you got him, and, and at any time during the schedule, that's it for the day. Everybody just absolutely goes crazy for him. And, and yes, the first round was a little bit uh, tricky for him, but um, he is so fun to watch. And I keep saying this, and I know that I'm going to get burnt, Andy, but I keep saying that I think... If he keeps winning, and if he wins, let's say, average of one major for the next seven, eight years, that puts him at sort of seven, eight, nine majors. I say he's one of the most, if not 
most important male tennis player that we've ever had in the sport. And I, the reason why is because of his variety, because he hits so hard and then he hits drop shots and he comes to the net because of the speed around the court. And with him, you watch him and it's like, you can't believe it because Novak Djokovic most probably gets to most balls that Carlos Alcaraz gets to, but it's a different kind of movement. With Alcaraz, you hold your breath and then you see his face and he's literally loving it. And I know Federer loved it. We know, we know that he did. But if you didn't know it, it's hard to, to say that I've ever seen Roger Federer smile on a tennis court, at least not more than once. Rafa Nadal mm, doesn't really smile at all. Novak Djokovic sometimes smiles, but in a different way. Akaras looks like he loves it. And I think the people in the stands, there are so many points where the crowd is, they're nearly too loud. And, oh, oh. Oh my God. Wow. And I've, I've never, ever experienced. I was in that crowd. I heard it all. I mean, I've never experienced, I've never heard the crowd and people are just so excited. And I, of course, the way I'm talking about it now, it's amazing how one player can just completely transform how you look at a sport in my eyes. So Matt, are you concerned at all? Here's a 19 year old kid that, as you say, this kid, he's got this, this, youthful exuberance it's a it's a it's a it's a phrase that i used when i was talking to the cracked rackets guys so it's it's fresh on my mind but he's got this but i think it applies to alcaraz are you at all concerned about him being beaten down by the system and by the demands and the rigors of everything that goes with being a guy who's a cross between a tennis player and elvis presley (laughs) similarly to the way we saw that happen to your compatriot and dear friend Bjorn Borg, which at, at 17, 8, he never looked like Alcaraz on the court. He didn't he no. didn't have that. He didn't have that that kind of thing going on, but he did have the rock star thing. Let's I mean, as much as anybody's ever had it. But it really just it, the body blow after body blow into Borg just really took it out of him. Is there concern on your part that this could happen? to Alcaraz and potentially derail an otherwise amazing long career. I think if you let Alcaraz out there on his own and try to figure things out um, and having things thrown at him, I think it would likely happen to him as well. But I think having, first of all, the the family situation, because uh, mom and dad and his brother, I've seen them at tournaments, they're not even sitting in the player's box. They're sitting to the side. So they're not really. And then they are in the player's box for one or two tournaments here and there. So they seem very grounded. He seems extremely grounded, Alcaraz, uh, in life. On the court, completely free. Um, there's a safety net, I think, that, that surrounds him. And that safety net is whatever else he has in life, which is off the tennis court. And in a way, I look at Rafael Nadal, and I think that's what gives Rafa the freedom to just absolutely try 100% emotionally every single time that he plays. So I think there's there's so many grounded people around him, and I think life is still much bigger than his tennis career will ever be which is why I think he's going to have an amazing tennis career. I'm only worried about the physical injuries because it cannot be easy to control when you're that explosive 
I don't know how you control that, to be honest. Especially with you sitting around your house like a mummy with kinesiology tape all over your body. Exactly. But sometimes I'm like, stop running, (laughs) Carlos. You can't get there. Stop running sooner, sooner. And he does it because he just, but the, the love for the game and the love for competition and even the things he wrote on the camera lens were very profound when he beat Jack Draper after Draper pulled it out. He said, said, get well soon, Jack. Wow. Yes, that was on the camera lens. That's interesting. in paradise, he wrote after one of them. So, and you can see how he's looking at the camera and he's thinking about it. So, I mean, he's an amazing, amazing athlete. Okay, so you use the word grounded, and I want to get back to the men's game because there's so many great stories from that. But when you say the word grounded, the first thing that also comes to mind, because I was all about her before, I am even more all about her now, and that is my girl Elena Rabakina, because I am even more impressed with her than ever before as just being absolutely not just the consummate professional in today's game, but she's looking like she's going to be an all-time. I mean, just her demeanor on the court, mats is so refreshing. She's always got not like this big silly grin on her face, but just a nice smile, just a nice sort of life is good approach to playing. And she'll take the the, the, the bad with the good. She's got the game. She's got the presence on the court, the way she, I'm just so over the top impressed with her. No, incredible. And of course I was at Wimbledon last year when she won. Right. Uh, and, uh, one of my fellow uh, reporters at Eurosport ran into the coach right afterwards, uh, and he said, uh, uh, he, the, the, I think it was Alex Karechas or something like, well done, and he said, yeah, thank you, 22 to go. But you can't be serious, man. Wow. So, wow. yeah, exactly. But you can see that in many different ways. And when you watch the player play, you, you when, your co- when the coach says that, you can also look at the player and you like, what is he, nuts? Right. With her? No, no. I don't think she looks um, satisfied whatsoever with what she's achieved, which is which is unbelievable. Uh, she wasn't um, surprised by winning that finals. She was able to keep the ball in play when she needed to. Very windy, difficult conditions. Of course, she's got this massive game uh, and uh, she doesn't seem to have nerves somehow. And then I love the no victory celebration. I know people at Eurosport that I commentate for, they're like, oh, that's so boring. I'm like, no, that's so cool. So because cool. for her, the totally. match itself is what's exciting. And I understand this. When it's over, what am I going to do? Go and, and experience something more exciting than beating Sabalenka in the finals of Indian Wells? I don't think so. So I think the winning is important. But to her, playing seems to be the most important part. So I'm with you. She's a rock. Do you remember Barry Sanders, Matt's yep. football player for the Detroit Lions, went to Oklahoma State, won the Heisman, and went. he never celebrated touchdowns. He tossed the ball to the referee. And, and everybody has always made that comment to their players. Can't you be like Barry Sanders? He just acts like he's been there before. Right. Right? Act like you've been there before. And that was – Barry Sanders was the comp, was the consummate – act like you've been there before guy. And I think Rabakina takes a page from that book. And I think that is such a refreshing thing to see. Now I want to ask you this. So you, you make the comment that the coach said, yeah, well, 22 more to go. I almost take that in my mind as 
a compliment to Serena. Like, let's not compare us to anybody. That's you right. Know, there's still a lot of, there's a long way to go before we're going to start talking about, you know, how big and bad we are. Yes, we won a nice Wimbledon and we're very happy with that, but 22 more to go. To me, that's kind of, and I think that could be misunderstood. Similarly to the way I think Roger Federer was oftentimes misunderstood when in an interview he would say, yeah, I played, I played unbelievable. I played great, which I took as a compliment to his opponent to say, that's how well I had to play because that's how great this guy is. So, man, am I happy that I was able to play as well as I did. And other people would go, oh, you know, Roger talking about how great he is. And I'm like, that's not what he's doing. He's talking about how great that guy is and how what it took to get that win. Absolutely couldn't agree more. Um, I think with Federer, I often just sort of, wow. But you know what? He can get away with that. He can say that because right. it's true and the way it's so genuine. So I think that that's where the Carlos Alcaraz uh, phenomenon as well, I think – Will he be a guy that's going to have a career like Rafa where he gets injured after four or five months because he runs so hard and then he has to take two months off then he comes back? Maybe. But I think because of Roger, first and foremost, because of Roger and Serena, uh, I think these players have a different outlook. Compare that to me, Andy. I have Bjorn Borg ahead of me. Right. Who's done at 25 years old? In fact, I lost him in the first round in the tournament. In the last tournament that he won, really, was the Geneva Open in Switzerland in 1981 on clay. I played him first round, and he never won another tournament. He was 25. I won my last tournament in 1990, which puts me at 26 years old. Only two years after, I was number one in the world. But to me, Connors was yeah. He played for a long time, but. We didn't have those role models in that same way. Of course, we had Rod Laver and Stan Smith and Elina Stas, and they played forever, but they weren't at the top of the game the same way that Roger was until his late 30s and the way Serena. So I think it's just the, the environment is different, and I think coaches realize that, and I think players, Carlos Alcaraz, literally, he's just starting to try and open the door into being one of the best players in the world. And I think he's got a mindset of being there for 15 years. And I think Rybakina and her coach, same thing. So I think we are now realizing how thankful we should be to Roger Federer and Serena Williams. And of course, Nadal filled up and Novak Djokovic. But to me, it starts with Roger and Serena. All right, let's go to break. I have to say that I've learned two things tonight about Mats that in all these years I never knew, which was that he went home after the singles before coming back to win the doubles at Wimbledon in 86. Had no idea, nor did I realize that he lost to Borg in Borg's last tournament victory. So learn something new every show. When we come back, we've got more to get to. It'll just be me and Mats, but we'll be having some fun. Had a little fun at Indian Wells that was a little bit outside the lines. It was a very cool story. We'll get that to that and more when we come back. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, Matt and AZ, back right after this. Hi guys, Sarah Z here with a KickServe Quick Serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, I think, tougher by the day. 
boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, BodyFuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So that these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing, but midnight burn at night, blackwall shredded in the day, uh, and then purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, purify along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, BodyFuse. BodyFuseUSA.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with BodyFuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the Kickserve Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, AZ, Matt. Johnny was uh, with us a little bit earlier, but he's a busy man right now with all of his debriefing and just re-entry from the tournament into his real life. But Matt, uh, you know, we talked about Alcaraz. We talked about Rabakina, Indian Wells. I'm sorry that you couldn't be there because, boy, did I have a good time. Yes, yeah, so... so- you know, I was watching it, obviously, religiously okay. on the tennis channel, watching every day, watching every night session. And and the lead up with no Novak, uh, with no Rafa, it was kind of like, eh, Carlos Alcaraz, I didn't realize how big a deal he is. So I was excited. It's a big tournament. It's the fifth major, whatever. And then they kept saying that they were breaking the attendance records. Right. So to me... Uh, it's a question to you, Andy, because you were there for a few days and you've been there before when the greats were there, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Andy Murray, so even Serena, I would believe, uh, were, was there when you were there uh, as well, even though she took a break from Indian Wells for quite a few years. What What's the difference in vibe Do you did you find, Andy, now when you go to that tournament and the people that that walk around and watch practice when we don't have the same superstars in the sport that we used to have in the Federer and the Nadal and, and the Serena Williams. Is there a difference? Yes, there is. And it's exactly what you said it was going to be. It's the possibility in everybody's mind that an American might win it. I mean, that's what really to a large extent carried the tournament. Now is Carlos Alcaraz, you know, like I referred to him before as kind of part Elvis. Yes. When he's on the court, that's all there is to it. He's the man. And, and you've got a, a great women's field. Coco Goff, you know, garners a lot of attention as does Jesse Pagula, but on the men's side, Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafoe, who had a nice run to the semifinals, 
you know, darn near held off uh, Daniil Medvedev, holding off match point after match point. You got the doubles team of Sock and Isner packing them in to the stadium and, and, and winning and very exciting. I mean, Jack Sock is – He's kind of part tennis player, part Vegas nightclub act himself. He <laughs> likes to put on a show. He had his wife and her sister, who I think is dating, uh, um, oh gosh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Cole Swindell, the country singer. So he's there with Coach Philip Farmer. And, uh, and Jack and John put on shows, particularly Jack, but they had some great. So there's a great American doubles team. And then you've got, you know, you've got the Tommy Pauls and you've got, uh, you know, all the all the great Americans that, that are going good now, uh, not a great go of it in particular for, for John uh, in the singles, losing to uh, Brandon Nakashima. So another American player there. But those guys really do a lot for the vibe of the crowd because there is a chance that an American player is going to win it. But there is another guy, Matt, that really stuck out to me as a wild card in this thing. And you never really know what you're going to get from him. And I'm curious to see what your take is on him because the first night I saw him play against Mackie McDonald, I thought this kid's going to give Carlos Alcaraz a run for his money in some major finals, maybe even spend a little time at one in the world. And then I see him play Stan Wawrinka a day or two later. And it was a very different vibe from him. Of course, I speak of Holger Runa. And this guy gives you a little something different every time out on the court, but not the least of which is a lot of potential, but also a lot of head scratching decisions on the court. Yeah. Very, very um, interesting and strange uh, behavior at times from Holger Rune. And I mean, obviously with Stan Wawrinka, he had a run in at the Paris, uh, Paris Bercy indoor tournament in um, uh, in last October or beginning of November, where he beats Vavrinka after Vavrinka had a few match points. And, and at the handshake, Vavrinka says something in his ear, something along the lines, Holger, you're a great player, but you're behaving like a junior. And then, of course, after Vavrinka beat him here, at just after the handshake, Holger Rune said, so that we could all hear it, they shook hands. Stan was very a very good handshake. Stan put his hand sort of on the stomach of Holger Rune. And, and after that was done, Holger Rune said something like, well, what do you say now? You're not going to say anything now? And Stan Wawrinka said, uh, excuse me, what, what do you want me to say? So obviously he was still upset about the Paris indoors. Uh, with Casper Ruud at the French Open last year, there was a situation that came out in social media yeah. where where he Holger Rune says that Casper Ruud came into the locker room right after the match and just screamed at him and his coach because they were sort of going through the match and Casper Ruud sort of half denied it, I believe, the next day when he was asked about it. So interesting, I, it's not good. I don't like it. Um, I think. Because he's won a bit, and he and he beat Novak Djokovic in three sets in that uh, Rolex Masters at, at the, in Paris, he knows how to beat the best players, and, he, and he's unafraid. But at the same time, you are we asking too much of a nineteen-year-old? Maybe, but again, no, we're not. He's nineteen. He's allowed to vote in Europe. He's allowed to go and buy himself a beer in the bar so he can drive a car so we are asking these guys to be to have an, an etiquette a sportsmanship that that is that of a role model and how the rune is not there we don't know where he stands 
I'm sure he doesn't know what's going to come out of him at times. And then his mom is there for every match. And you sort of look at that and you wonder, whoa, hold on. So she should have a chat to him, I guess. But then at the same time, you have to say, well, let the kid be who he is because he is winning tennis matches and he has a great potential. And I think he is going to win majors, like you said, Andy. But because of the sportsmanship of Federer and Nadal and Djokovic and on and on, it's a head head scratcher when someone like that comes along because he tries so hard. We've had Nick Curious, but that's different. Holgerbrun tries really hard, and then he makes strange choices in the shot selection. So I'm not really sure what to think, except that he's a talented kid, and he wants a massive success before he's done. Well, and then after that match was when it got interesting for me. Okay. Right? So that's when I had my little my little run-in, if you will, with uh, the rock and roll world. I heard about this, Andy. Yeah. So tell, so tell. We I can't wait to hear. Well, this. all right. So I'm standing there by myself, minding my own business after the Warinka Runa match, and this guy walks up to me just out of the blue, and he he taps me on the shoulder. He's a little bit of an older guy with a you know a woman about my age, very attractive lady who ends up being his wife, and he says to me, "Excuse me, are you with the tournament?" And I said, "Well, very loosely. I you know I do media." Um, he goes, well, I'd really like to get a message to Stan Wawrinka. I was in that match. I said, yes, I was too. And he said, I was really impressed with the way he held off the kid. And I'd like to just congratulate him and, and say something to him. And I'm thinking, and he says, my name, my name is Kevin Cronin and I'm the lead singer of Mario Speedwagon. And I said to myself, Kevin, you had me at Kevin Cronin. So of course I'm a huge fan of Kevin Cronin and a, and a huge fan of Mario Speedwagon and, Craig Carden and I used to go see them in concert back when we were in college and listening to him and all the other extracurriculars that we used to do, listening to Kevin Cronin and Gary Richrath and all of the great hits that they had. So I'm absolutely, Matt, I tried as hard as I could not to just go full-fledged fanboy on the thing, but I'm afraid I failed miserably. But I was really excited to be talking to Kevin Cronin and his beautiful wife, Lisa. And um, I said, oh, and I said, okay, well, you want to talk to Stanworth? Let me see what I can do. Come with me. So we go up to the media room and, and they said, well, you know, this is probably an ATP matter. So I just so happen to have Greg Sharko's phone number in my phone. So I call Greg and I haven't talked to him in 10 years. I don't even know if he'll remember me, but I call him and he says, Andy, how you doing? And I'm like, okay, well, so much for that. And I said, Greg, good to talk to you. I got something very random happening here. I'm standing here with, uh, with Kevin Cronin and he's like, the Kevin Cronin. And I'm like, oh, thank God he knows who he is. I'm like, yes, yes. He goes, are you Yes. I said, he wants to talk to Stan. Uh, He was in the match. We were both in the match. He wants to congratulate him. He goes, hold on, hold on. I think I see him over there. So he happened to be in the locker room. The next thing you know, I'm like, hello. I'm like, Stan? He's like, yes. I said, this is, this is Andy's Oden. I'm a friend of Matt's. I had to play the Matt's card. I'm sorry. I had no choice. Okay. In that situation, I'm I'm friend of Matt's and I got Kevin Cronin here. He wants to speak to you real quick and congratulate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put him on, put him on. So those two guys chat for a while and it was the coolest thing. And now I got, you know, Cronin and I exchanged phone numbers. We spent a little time together. His wife, Lisa's from Wisconsin. My wife, Sarah's from Minnesota. So they chatted it up. Nico Pereira came over and said, hello. Jim Courier came over and said, hello. Sharko came over and said, hello. And suddenly Cronin is the toast of the town. 
and he's loving every minute of it, and he can't wait to come on the podcast with us. So if you are an REO Speedwagon fan, you definitely do not want to miss our next show because Kevin Cronin will be joining us, and he is Matt. I know you know a lot of these rock and roll guys. This guy is as nice and as down-to-earth as any of them. Well, that's what they are to me. There's a lot of – I've run into a lot of musicians over the years, of course – and I think that as as a, as a musician, when you tour around, tennis is such an easy game to organize. You just need one more person. It could be a, often it's a roadie or a guitar right. tech or somebody that just oh he plays tennis and then uh, and then they go out and, and bash the ball around. I used to um, uh, play tennis with John Oates from Hall and Hall and Oates. Yes, and he used to live up in Connecticut. Absolute yep. diehard. And I mean, he was a great tennis player. Just absolutely loved it. And I think there's a mutual respect going the other way. And to me, it's always been that, hold on, musicians, they absolutely love what they do. And it doesn't matter if you see them in a stadium with 50,000 people outdoors, or if you see them at Radio City Music Hall, where there's a couple of thousand, they are just smiling and they're doing what Carlos Alcaraz does. So the respect that I would have for someone like Kevin um, oh. is unbelievable because they just love it. And then they have that genuine personality where you would think, well, hold on. They really are rock and roll stars, but they don't act like it. And it's, it's so cool. Can't wait to talk to him uh, in person or, or on our podcast. And, and I'm sure he doesn't want to talk about music. I'm sure he wants to talk. So maybe we should get him to send us a video of his tennis game, Andy, and we could dissect we this go. game while we have him on the show. Well, I know that he's good friends with Eric Carita because Eric and his wife used to actually stay at their home in L.A. So maybe we can get the lowdown from Eric on what kind of tennis player uh, Kevin is. But I do want to talk music with him a little bit. I mean, maybe we'll sure. we'll blend the two. But uh, it was it was an incredible thing. And I know Johnny, I wish he was on right now because he was at a tournament many years ago and he needed a ride from one site to the other. And one, the tournament director said, you know, OK, well, we'll see what we can do. And somebody said, well, I, I'm actually going that way. Do you want to go with me? And Johnny said, sure, if you don't mind. And he got in the car and John Oates took him to the site. It was John Oates offering to give Johnny Levine a ride. So I think he was in the car with him for a good two hours. And it was part of what you were just saying about him you know, being such a big tennis fan. So I know that rock and roll stars and, and rock stars like yourself in the tennis world cross paths with one another. But to then have me randomly brought into that situation with Kevin Cronin tapping me on the shoulder. And when he said, Kev, I mean, literally, I, I, I didn't urinate on my, so I just, I can't, I can't officially say that, but the, uh, it was all but that. I, and I was just such a fun deal. You know what's so cool about that? And actually reminds me of um, uh, here uh, six, seven years ago, Mark Knopfler from the Dire Straits. He had a concert in Salt Lake City at the Botanical Garden. And uh, and I had uh, dinner with Mark a couple of times and saw a lot of shows in the 80s. In the 80s. When they were huge. Uh, and they were unbelievable. And the, the dire straits were going on. So so he was coming to Salt Lake City, which is literally four-hour drive from here from me. So I, and I never do this, I found uh, a way to get hold of his manager. And I called his manager uh, through a connection, uh, obviously in the music business. And I was nearly embarrassed in a way. But I so wanted to just tell Mark Knopfler face-to-face that your music 
that it's been such a big, important part of my life. And I wouldn't be the same person if I didn't listen wow. to Mark Knopfler play guitar and, and sing and whatnot. The concert was amazing. So we go backstage and we're sitting there with a friend of mine uh, and we're having dinner. There's no one around. And suddenly this, this older man comes and sits down. And I'm like, I haven't seen Mark in so long. I'm like, oh, my God. It's Mark Knopfler. So he comes <laughs> and he sits down and he has dinner and he talks with us for maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. But I can imagine what Stan Wawrinka now feels when someone like Kevin Cronin, who's so accomplished when they understand in a way greatness or a, a the, the love for what you do and they see it and then they give you the compliment. That is so cool for me. Stan Barinka must be, I mean, has he called you and thanked you no, yet? No, he has not. And that's okay. But one of these days, maybe you can say something to him when you I see will. him and just mention it. But, but, but Kevin was saying things to him that were so inspiring for me to just stand there and hear Stan, man, it's just, you know, you and I have a lot in common because I'm just an old rock star that just loves going out on stage and just giving it all I got. And I felt like that's what I just watched you do. You know, you're one of the old guard guys, but you've still got I mean, it was just like I was just like I was ready to run through a wall. And I could just I could just only imagine that Stan was just loving every bit of it. And I'm just glad. Thank God Stan won that match. Because <laughs> had Rune beaten him, this thing never happens, and yeah, and it, so so well, I'm really excited. Let's let's have one minute about Stan Wawrinka. How cool is that? That he's he's back. He's playing great. Federer is gone. Uh, Rafa wasn't there. Novak wasn't allowed. And for and so suddenly Stan Wawrinka is the one that has the, the most Grand Slam singles titles in the whole draw at three. Wow, that's and right. suddenly he is sort of you know he's coming back. And he how many does Murray three. have? Two? Uh, Mari has three as well. Okay. Mari so has three, but he's got a couple of Olympic golds, so Mari might be ahead, but it doesn't matter. On the Grand Slam singles, so to yeah. me, to watch Stan Wawrinka beat someone at Holger Rune and make it, I believe, to the quarters and still show that passion and the love for the sport is so cool because maybe he will finally get uh, uh, a little more attention than he has in the last 10, 15 because of the big three that's always been ahead of him. So to me, it's great to see Stan Wawrinka. Well, it was amazing. And the whole thing was amazing. And Kevin Cronin will be on our next show. I also have to pass on a message that I did run into Tommy Haas and I did speak to him. And of course, played the match Lander card. And he said, Matt's has got my number. You have him call me. Now that this tournament's over, I would love to come on with you guys. I've listened to your show and I'd love to come on it. So there you go. The ball's in your court on that. And he's, he seems, you know, he seems like he's, uh, he's game. So anyway, great stuff. Want to thank and congratulate Johnny Levine coming on with us earlier and running a great tournament down in Arizona. Matt's, I hope you're feeling better. Look forward to seeing you soon. And again, Kevin Cronin on the next show. What else we're going to be talking about? Obviously, will be Miami. Sorry, we haven't had a chance to even get to that yet tonight, but those boys and ladies are doing their thing as we speak, so that'll be a good tournament to talk about as well. In the meantime, thanks for joining us on KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. 2023 is already off and roaring, and we look forward to more with you guys. So stay with us throughout the year.